Let's turn to Mark chapter 1 today, again, and uh, we're going to look at verse 14 and following. Good to see you all this morning. Amen. Looking better. Keep on, we're going to have 20. <laughs> it's good. It's good to see you all. The Gospel of Mark. In Mark 1. Verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe in the good news. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege we have to have the freedom to come and join our hearts in worship of you. Lord, we uh, take for granted, I think, as a nation, as a people, the opportunity and the privilege that we have to freely come and to worship you. God, may it never be that we abuse that privilege but always use it for your honor and your glory. Lord, uh, your word tells us how loving and supreme you are. We come today before your throne and worship you because of those things. Lord, uh, you've always worked in this world that you created to bring about the best for your creation. We just pray that our hearts would be open and receptive of the message your word contains for us today, that we might apply it to our lives, that we might live for you, God, and be better servants and more useful servants in your kingdom's work. We give you the honor and the glory for that. We just thank you for everyone that has come this way and ask your blessings on each. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, we uh, saw how Jesus got started last week, and uh, he's going to uh, continue this week uh, as we uh, go through some of these verses, and we'll move a little further as we go along. We'll see that Jesus began his ministry uh, actually uh, uh, in Galilee. This was a this pretty popular area, this Galilee. But uh, John had been put in prison. Jesus uh, went to Galilee. And uh, there's a description of what happened to John a little further on in Mark, in chapter 6. Because we know that John was uh, uh, arrested and that he was martyred uh, at that point. Uh, Herodias... Uh, requested his head on a platter, if you remember. They beheaded John. And uh, a very pleasant thing to think about. I, I can't imagine being in a, a court courtroom of the king, uh, his throne room, 
and somebody bringing a severed head on a platter into the room. Now, that had to be a joyous occasion. You knew it for all people concerned. I, I just, uh, it baffles me sometimes that how people used to live and put up with stuff like that. Anyway, uh, after all of this happened, Jesus uh, came to uh, Galilee, and uh, that's where he spent most of his time in the ministry, if you uh, will study uh, his life and everything, in the region of Galilee. Uh, he was uh, go, He went to Jerusalem primarily on uh, the appointed festival times. When a time for a festival came up, they would go to Jerusalem and he would go there. Most of the time he spent in Galilee. Galilee was a, a large uh, area uh, and it was uh, populated with uh, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, they all lived together. Uh, they had usually had their own districts. They lived in separate places, kind of like black and white situation here. The, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't separate, didn't uh, integrate with each other either. The, the Jews didn't like the Gentiles, and the Gentiles didn't care much about the Jews. We're familiar with that kind of mentality because of the area of the United States we live. We've seen it all our lives. Now, some of these young people are, are gradually kind of getting over it, but we're not. We've been around it all our lives. We've seen the worst of it, and uh, we, uh, we understand uh, perhaps how our ancestors felt and uh, the separation that existed there, right or wrong. But we know what this mentality looks like. The Jews and the, and the Christians had the same kind of mentality. They didn't want to be around each other. And uh, Paul was in this area uh, of the, the world, the Middle East, that had a large Jewish population. And he went there preaching Jesus and him crucified. Uh, and uh, to say the least, sometimes he was not well received because of his message. Uh, anyway... Uh, that's beside the point. Uh, Galilee was uh, not a small backwater community. Uh, it's estimated that uh, Galilee uh, had uh, probably 204 villages by count, I read. 204 villages. It was only uh, 60 by 30 miles, 60 by 30 miles wide and long. 204 villages in an area that size with none of the villages being less than 15,000 people. Now, you do the math on that, math, uh, and you'll come up with the idea that there's probably about 3 million folks that lived in that area. No wonder Jesus spent a good bit of time ministering in Galilee because there were so many people uh, who were religious in a sense if they were Jews, but irreligious if they were Gentiles. They had nothing. So he spent a lot of his time there. And uh, folks, we can, uh, we can get a lot of challenges out of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 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 he was a champion, of uh, course, of the faith. Uh, at, uh, when he went out and, and dealt, with his, dealt with the ministry and started his ministry, he did things like other people had not done. Uh, in verse 15 uh, of Mark 1, it says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. 
That's how he started his ministry, is preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Folks, if there's a challenge for the church today in the United States of America, that's the challenge. We have millions of people, literally millions of people in our country who do not know and do not want to know, care to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're just out there in the dark, and that's where they want to be. They do what they want to do, go where they want to go, act the way they want to act. And when uh, Jesus comes in, into their lives, most of the time it changes, doesn't it? For the better, I might add, it changes for the better, but uh, you know how people are about change. You know, you, uh, you tell somebody they need to become a Christian, well, I'll have to stop doing so, stop doing so, or seeing so-and-so, or going over there. Uh, you know, they think of a million excuses not to become a Christian. But the one predominant <laughs> reason... The primary reason they need to become a Christian is not to go to hell. I, I don't, you know, you can say go to heaven if you want to, but look, let's, let's just put it in terms that we understand in a negative mood. Let's, we don't, nobody wants to go to hell. I don't know, you know, you, you may be wishy-washy about going to heaven and not want all that goody-two-shoes stuff. I've heard people describe it that way. But you for sure don't want to go to the place of the devil and his angels and be tortured and tormented for eternity. You just don't want to do that. Jesus went to Galilee to speak to these millions of people about accepting him as the Messiah, as Savior, as the one who could provide them a way out of hell. Uh, listen, Scripture says, preaching to sinful in the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's, that's the church's goal today, isn't it? I mean, that's, that, that's our task. That's what we should be doing. How many of us, me included, how many of us do that on a regular basis? Witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody about him and the salvation. How often do we do that? I'm afraid I'm as derelict as a lot of people. Uh, but we need to be about telling people to repent and believe the gospel. Repent. Jesus said repent and believe the gospel. That's the only way that we can avoid the torment and the punishment that is the devil's. God did not create hell for us. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. We only end up there because we refuse the free gift of salvation that he offers. Folks, I don't know about y'all, but I don't know a whole lot of people down here in the south that refuse a free gift. That expensive a gift that costs them absolutely nothing. I don't know of a whole lot of folks down here that are dumb enough to say, no, I don't want it. But when it comes to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of folks out there that dumb, hard-headed, call it ignorant or you call it what you want to. But the bottom line is they're going to spend eternity separated from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not a good thing. His ministry was to proclaim the gospel to lost people, to draw them to come unto himself. All they had seen of God was what the Jewish people offered and the ritual that they offered 
in all of their synagogues and the temple. They, uh, they did not uh, do very evangelistic work. If you wanted to become a Jew, you had to go through a certain amount of ritual, and you had to do this, that, and the other, and uh, not too many people liked all of that sort of stuff. Uh, Jesus came preaching if you want to go to heaven you, all you got to do is repent and believe the gospel you didn't have to get baptized that was a recommended thing but you didn't have to get baptized baptism has nothing to do with salvation other than it being a symbol of what you've done with your life baptism doesn't save anybody but we have denominations in our country today that believe if you don't get in the water and be baptized in the right water now not just any old water, in the right water. If you're not baptized by the right people in the right way, you're not going to heaven anyway. Our baptism doesn't depend on anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, buried, and resurrected from the dead. He lives today making intercession for all who believe in Him and have trusted Him. That's what Jesus came to this earth to do. And he went about preaching the gospel uh, and the kingdom of God to everybody. He wanted everybody to know. And he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Everything was complete. Everything was in the, in the Old Testament was leading up to this point of Jesus. Everything about the Old Testament was leading up to this point. Jesus said, all of that's been fulfilled. How did he know? He was the fulfillment that's how he knew he was God on earth. The time has been fulfilled. The work is done. Folks, you need to get in line and let's get this thing right. Did you know they had some hard-headed Jews back in those days? It's kind of like Southerners. <laughs> I grew up in Mississippi and somebody told me that Arkansas was a show-me state. Is that right? Or is that Missouri? Okay, show me. But, hey, that's our attitude. You got to show me to prove it. Well, Jesus came to earth to show you. Amen. He showed the world who he was. Went to a cross and suffered and died for the sins of all men and three days later came alive again and came out of the tomb and proved it to everybody that he was alive. The time was fulfilled. Everything was done that should have been done for done salvation. And God came and proclaimed that. You've got the opportunity to repent. You need to do it. Folks, if we have a message, if we don't do anything else, we need to tell our friends and our loved ones that don't have a relationship with Christ, you need Jesus. You need to repent. You need to ask Jesus to be your Savior. Repent just means turn. You're going this way. When you repent, you turn around and go the other way. You've heard that illustration all your life probably if you've been in church. When you're going this way, repent means turn around and go the other way. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've repented several times on the football field. <laughs> I see somebody that outweighs me 50 pounds coming at me full speed. I want to repent. I want to go the other way and get out of the way. I don't care anything about being run over. I don't care how big or little anybody is. I don't want them to hurt me. I've never enjoyed pain. Now, I know some people that enjoy pain. They like being hurt. I, I can't figure them out. They got something wrong. 
going on up here, I think. But anyway, some people think that uh, repentance is mostly about feelings. When I repent, I become aware of my condition, and I'm sorry for it. I feel, I feel sorry, and that's, that's what repentance is all about. It's about sorrow for my sin. And it's a, it's a good thing to feel sorry about our sin, but uh, repentance is not about feelings. Repentance is an active word. It's an action word. It means doing something. Now, when we repent, we're supposed to do something, what we're supposed to do. Change directions. If we're going this way, we change directions. We go that way. Sometimes we don't make a full turn. Have you noticed that? Sometimes it's hard for people when they get, when they get saved. They might repent, but they don't make a full turn. They like go this way for a while. <laughs> and they have to be worked on. I know a lot of people that do that, come to church and get in church. And uh, if they'll stay in church, they'll eventually make the full U-turn. If they don't, they'll end up back out there messing up again. Repentance has to do with the, the direction that we're going, not the sorrow that we feel. I can be sorry for my sin all day long and have not repented. Repentance means turning around. Saying, believe, when Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, he wanted people to know what it was like to live in the kingdom. It speaks of a relationship of trust and dependence. Can you imagine... We live in, in the world today. We live in the south, the, uh, in a rural area of the south. Can you imagine living in a place where everybody's truthful, everybody's honest, you can depend on them and count on them? Can you imagine living in a place like that? But we feel lucky if we have a church that we can feel that good about, much less a, a whole city of people. Listen. We need to understand that repentance is about direction. It's not about anything that we've got to do in order to get saved. In order to get that's not repentance. We don't, there's nothing that we can do. We can't get in the water right. We can't do enough Hail Marys. We can't do this. We can't do that. There's nothing that we can do except fall on our knees before Jesus and say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my sin. That's it. There are so many people and so many religions in the world today that want to put other things onto that. And eventually, sometimes in their presentation, they'll get down to that if the person is lucky. Most of the time, it has to do with a lot of stuff that you got to do. You got to, you got to wear your hair right. You got to cut your hair right. I'm glad that. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad, that's right. I don't have any of that anymore, so Hallelujah. When I did, it had all begun to fall out. <laughs> and uh, folks, I want to tell you something. I had, when I was five, six years old, I had the prettiest head of hair, brown, full hair, just, I mean, just a pretty head of hair. I got ringworm. That's back in the 1950s, you know. That stuff was going around, I understand. A lot of folks had it. Well, you know how they treated it? This is how intelligent they were and how far they've come. You know how they treated it? 
they put me under an x-ray machine and overdosed my head with x-ray. Shut up, Trisha. Shut up, Trisha. She, she looked over at Herschel and said, that's what's wrong with him. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, all that did was make all of my hair fall out. That's an overdose of radiation. That's what happens. Your hair falls out. You reckon we've had it? Not lately. You know how long it was out? My hair was slick as a cue ball for one year. Did not have any hair for one year. Needless to say, the ringworm was gone several months before my hair came back. And you know when my hair came back? It was as kinky as any African-American you've ever seen. It just came out and corkscrewed. And I fought with that stuff from the time I was five years old until I cut it off. It's when it started getting gray, it started relaxing a little bit, getting straight. But it, it ain't no fun. I'm looking at Herschel with all his wavy hair on his head. It ain't no fun fighting with that stuff, especially when you've had straight hair. But that's, I mean, that's just some of the things we have to put up with. It's just, it's senseless. I'd come to find out I didn't have to have the x-ray to get rid of the ringworm. Now, isn't it that way about a lot of silly stuff that people tell you you got to do in order to be saved? You don't have to do anything except recognize that Jesus Christ is our Savior and will forgive our sins if we just ask him. That's all there is to it. It's that simple. It's so simple anybody can understand it. But we have a tendency to want to make it hard and difficult on people to come to Jesus, and it's not hard. The simpler we can explain it, the better off we are. The better off other people are. But folks, as God's children, we ought to be proclaiming it. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we should be doing. Oh, you don't have to be out of your way ugly with people, you know. You'd be surprised at the opportunities we miss during a day just to say, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? How many times could we say that and have an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus if we would just take it? And I'm, I told y'all, I'm just as guilty as y'all are. This uh, relationship that we have has to do with trust and our dependence on him. Uh, we, uh, we put our faith in him, and that means we put our trust in, in him. Uh, we put our dependence in him, and we quit relying on the things of the world and start relying on the things of Jesus in heaven. Uh, in uh, his early ministry, Jesus called out four men early on to be his disciples. And if you look at verses 16 through 20, you'll see that as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in, in the boat mending the, their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat 
with the hired servants and went after him. That's four hardworking men. Now, being a commercial fisherman is not the easiest thing in the world to do today with all the mechanization we got. Can you imagine doing everything by hand and being a commercial fisherman? And then when you got through at the end of the day and, and getting all the fish off the boat and out of the way, you had to sit there and mend those nets and get them all folded up just right so when you put them back out, they wouldn't get tangled up. It was a job. And here these guys are doing that work. Jesus came by and said, come go with me. James and John left their daddy in the boat working. Can you imagine what would happen to Terry if he'd gotten up and walked away from R.E. to go with a strange evangelist when he came by? Nobody said a word. You reckon that was a God thing? Nobody said a word. And these four men became four of the most powerful Christian witnesses to walk on this planet. Folks, we all have that opportunity because Jesus has extended the call to every one of us. That old song goes red, yellow, black, and white. They're precious in his sight. He doesn't care who you are or what you look like or how much education you got. He just want us, wants us to be willing to go when he calls and do what he wants us to do. He told them to follow him. They got up and went. Well, that's amazing. That's not the first time we see these guys. You can see him early, see them in John earlier uh, in the first chapter, the first four chapters, really. Uh, these were common men, just everyday old people. You don't have to have a PhD or a master's degree or a bachelor's degree. You don't have to have any kind of degree in education to share the gospel with somebody. You know, the simpler you can keep it, the better. That's true. The simpler you can keep it, the better. You don't have to bring anything else up but Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected from the dead for me, for you. If you trust him, he'll take all your sins away. Mm. Jesus told these guys to follow him. <laughs> this is what Christianity is all about, folks. Jesus called us out of our darkness, out of the pits of our degradation, and said, follow me. We had the best opportunity that life can ever afford. To follow Jesus. Any place you wouldn't follow him. Mm, better be careful the way we answer. I have to be careful the way I answer. I, I, I'm afraid I disappoint him a lot. Because sometimes I'm just not willing to go where he wants me to go and do what he wants me to do. I've been a few places that were kind of out of the way. But when he said follow me. He meant anywhere I go, anywhere I send you, go, follow me, and do what I tell you to do. Uh, Christianity is not about a system of theology. It's not about rules. Uh, it's not even about helping people, even though we do that. 
It's about following Jesus. That's what Christianity is all about, following Jesus. With this uh, invitation of Jesus, when he said, follow me, he explains to us what Christianity is all about. It's at the root of our faith. It's not about these systems, not about rituals or rules. It's not even about helping people, even though that's involved in, in our faith. It's about following Jesus. Now, he goes some places, I'll be honest, I'm leery of going. <laughs> I don't want to go. But, folks, I'm going to tell you what. I've had the opportunity to go to Russia and Moldova and places in Europe and Asia that I never would have thought that I'd have gone. But I've had the opportunity to do that and have been there. And what a joy it is to see people hear about Jesus that have never heard about Jesus and accept him as their Savior. That's a hoot and a holler for us Southern folks. That's a joy. It's a joy to see that. Well, look, we don't have to go to Russia. We don't have to go to China. We don't have to go anywhere but down the street and find somebody that doesn't know Jesus, explain to them about how to get saved, see them get saved, and you see a smile on somebody's face you hadn't seen in a while. It's a pleasant experience to know you've had a part of leading somebody to Jesus. When uh, Jesus came by and he told them, he said, if you guys come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they didn't think about it. They got up and left. <laughs> they got uh, to do what Jesus wanted them to do. He called him to do what he had done. He had become, he came to this earth and had become a fisherman, fishing for the souls of human beings. And that's what he'd asked them to do. Folks, that's what he's asked us to do, to be fishers of men, to tell people about Jesus and lead them to Christ, lead them to an eternity in heaven with him. That's what he's called us to do. What a wonderful calling that Jesus has called us to labor alongside of him. To labor alongside of him. Not in front of him, not behind him. Alongside of him and leading people into heaven. What a wonderful calling. I'll make you become, he says. <laughs> He's got the authority to make us become anything. But he said, I'll make you become fishers of men. I'll give you the training. I'm going to put you through introduction to salvation 101 I'm going to show you how and I'm going to turn you loose you know what they did they turned the world upside down Amen. those 11 men really and Jesus turned the world upside down with their witness folks reckon what we could do in the United States 
There are more of us here than the apostles that he had. If we made up our mind to be as diligent in service as they were, we'd turn this town upside down. We'd turn this state upside down. We'd turn Mississippi upside down. Not anything that we couldn't do if we fell in line with Jesus. When uh, the scripture tells us that these fishermen were in their boats mending their net, they were putting everything in order. Well, that's what uh, we do by our attendance at church and stuff like that. We put things in order. But it doesn't do any good to put stuff in order if you don't ever use it. You know what I'm talking about? You can have the prettiest set of golf clubs there are in the world. I'll use golf as an illustration. I used to play that game. You can have the prettiest set of clubs there is in the world. You can keep them polished. You can keep them shined up and cleaned up. You can go to the most beautiful golf course in the world. But if you don't ever get off the driving range and go to the course, you haven't done anything. You've got to do a bit of good. You've got to keep score every once in a while. What's our score? What's our score? I fear the devil's far ahead. But you know what? We can catch him. We just make up our mind to do it. We can catch him. Let's determine to do what Jesus wants us to do. And get equipped and get our minds right. We'll do what he's called us to do. That means that we have to give up everything. Jesus becomes the most important thing in our life. If there's anything in our life more important than him, we need to put it in the proper place. When Jesus is first, we'll change the world. Let's stand together and pray. Thank everybody for being here today. God bless you.